Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. I'm Alice Living, best-selling author, personal trainer, and host of Give Me Strength, where we discuss the positives of living a stronger life physically and mentally with the hope to inspire you to do the same. Welcome to Give Me Strength. Dr. Helen O'Neill is a lecturer in reproductive and molecular genetics and a leading expert in reproductive science. She has a master's in prenatal genetics and fetal medicine and a PhD in stem cell biology from UCL. Her research focuses on pre-implantation embryo development and the use of CRISPR genome editing to assess understanding and treatment of disorders of infertility. She is also the wonderful founder of Hertility, who offer at-home hormone and fertility testing and are a rapidly growing company servicing an ever-expanding market. Helen, I'm so happy to finally have you on the pod. That was a lot to say because you are such an accomplished woman, but thank you so much for giving up some time. <laughs> thank you so much for having me. We're so excited to have you. And really, I've been someone who's been following Hertility and your journey for quite a long time. I remember when you first launched your crowdfunding raise, I think not that long ago. And I was like, I have to jump on this because I fundamentally fully believe in everything that you and Hertility 
are doing. But also, you know, from that introduction, need I say more in terms of your qualifications to lead the charge on that front. So it's really exciting to have you as a guest. Um, first of all, I'm just going to ask you, how are you doing today? Because I know you're an incredibly busy woman. So it'd be great to just check in and see how you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> I am well. I um yeah, I think I think this we we had somebody new start and they said, um, it, it's just that you've been it's been hard to get you because you've been really busy here for the last two weeks and I just burst out laughing. <laughs> um I think it's been a busy few years for sure. <laughs> In terms of your academic background, I spanned a huge load of um, kind of qualifications that you've got in your time, you know, and you're you're still so young. So everything that you've done is just amazing in terms of your master's, your PhD, your further teaching. But I'd love to hear about what really started you off on that path. I know that for me, academics were necess- not necessarily my favorite thing to do, but clearly you had a passion for, I'm guessing, science and then later medicine. Yes. Um, to me, I think... Uh, it's it's been definitely a journey. I am not also rosy, but I think finding the things that you love and really drive the further questions are what has kept me just you know continuing in my pursuit of wanting to know more. Um, I had a I did a, an undergrad in molecular genetics um, in Ireland before coming to UCL. Um, I'm and moving to London from Ireland 16 years ago now, which actually you sound young, but that that definitely ages me. Um, and it, I think I've had a very clear appreciation for science and definitely genetics from a young age because I am an identical twin. So I think having an identical version of yourself that you are genetically the same. But I don't know, we, we are very different people. She is a lawyer, need I say more, um, definitely has led me to really pursue this career. But then when I specialized um, in prenatal genetics and fetal medicine, that specifically meant that we were looking at all the ways that human fertilization occurs, whether um, naturally or through assisted conception. And to be honest, that was just such an amazing moment for me. Um, that that twelve months before before doing my PhD, it was just an education into how every single human on the planet is formed. And I found that I couldn't stop myself going home and telling anyone I met about all of the different pieces of information that I had learned, whether it was about things that happened during pregnancy, uh, good or bad, whether it was about, you know, the way that we can create life outside of the human, outside of the body. Um, I, it just was, it was like infectious, this knowledge that I felt I needed to tell everybody about. And I felt like everyone should know. That's so interesting. And I love this idea of kind of just being hungry for knowledge. And I think it's so it's so great when you sort of find your calling in life. I know that when I came into the fitness industry, I was like, I want to know so much more about this because I care so much about it. And it sort of sets you off in this path of, of that hunger for more and that you never quite feel as if you know enough. And I, I love that that's, you know, a part of you. I must say as well on the identical twin front. So my fiance is an identical twin. They are both very, very different. But you said you're very different, although I would have to caveat that by saying both clearly very high achieving. <laughs> you're like, she's a lawyer. We're really different. I'm like, wow, you're both very high achieving. So tell me what took you from finally doing your PhD and I guess really becoming incredibly niche with your research area. And then I guess taking that into, um, you know, reproductive health and, and I guess then onto, uh, you know, specifically fertility as a, as a kind of business. In trying to educate about what I knew and doing so in the setting of academia, which is that I lecture master's students and medical students, a lot of the things that you're teaching 
you want to know yourself, right? So I'm teaching, mm. I, I remember asking all of my medical students, how many of you have heard of egg freezing? And this was a good few years ago. And telling them essentially, like, I think every one of you should consider egg freezing because when I, you lay out the years ahead of them in terms of their career, their exams, at what point they'd qualify, at what point that, that would coincide with their biological need to have children and how they really just clash. And also having to lecture about some of the stats in, in women's health are most of the stats in women's health are pretty abysmal actually um, in terms of infertility and the prevalence of infertility and age-related fertility decline I think that those those questions that I was teaching about really started to hit me myself personally I, I, I remember thinking I feel like a hypocrite telling people to do something when I am the person who should be doing this and this barrier that I felt existed still in terms of just a better understanding and accessibility. And I always say it's the it's the strangest irony to be a so-called expert in a subject matter, to have dedicated your life and your weekends and your evenings to better understanding more about human reproduction, fertility, women's health, and then looking in the mirror thinking, how do I know nothing about my own body? How do I have none of these answers about myself? And then from a technical standpoint, thinking this is this is something that should be much more accessible to me personally, right? I, I have this amazing network of gynecologists, fertility experts, people at my fingertips and feeling so uh, distant from the answers. And, and that was compounded by the fact that everywhere I went, people would ask me questions and I frankly didn't have the answers for them. I wanted to so desperately I want to have the answers to everything but when your only options are to send somebody when it comes to you know how do I find out if I'm fertile to send them to their GP knowing that's a pretty much a dead end because you need certain criteria to qualify for further testing quite actually difficult criteria to qualify for testing. So justifying that something's wrong with you, having actively trying to conceive for 12 months, having experienced multiple miscarriages, these are really painful criteria that you need to have, you know, passed the threshold for additional testing. Or if you want to go privately, you know, that, that real psychological barrier to entry, which is stepping inside a fertility clinic or that financial barrier to entry, which is that this is a very expensive thing. And what I wanted to create was something in the middle that gave somebody who just wanted to know, who was just curious, that answer to the most fundamental question that we all ask ourselves at some point in our lives. Can I get pregnant? Can I have a baby? Am I fertile? Is family forming in my future? However distant, I think it's an innate question that so many of us ask ourselves at some point or another. And then being able to provide an answer about that was something I felt really passionately about. And that's why I created Hertility. It's incredible. And it really does make that kind of um, challenging time in a woman's life where she starts to sort of think about these things. You know, I remember this real switch from being 25 and thinking that feels so far away. I'm nowhere near it. And then suddenly you sort of are 27 and you're thinking, mm, okay, I've been with my partner for X amount of time. You know, you start to have these questions and feelings and, uh, you know, even natural kind of impulses to think about children more and whatever. And suddenly you start to have all these internal dialogues around, you know, exactly that 
am I fertile? Will I be able to have children? You know, I think many of us grow up thinking that we want to avoid getting pregnant. And then suddenly we get to, you know, like I said, you know, whatever age age it is, it's different for everyone, but an age where we start to think about family and suddenly there's this big shift where we're like, hang on a second, am I even going to be able to get pregnant? Um, So it's a really interesting mind shift. Yeah, it's really messed up how embedded it is within us from such an early age, this this awareness of fertility from the opposite lens, right? Whatever you do, don't get pregnant. And the messaging around anything that we can do as a society to prevent women getting pregnant, we will do. Um, how contraception is just forced, and actually more than contraception, how how fear is thrust upon us um, that we might get pregnant. And I and so many women going through years and years and years of being on a form of hormonal contraception. And only coming off it to try and have a baby and realizing they've actually been out of touch with their body for the best part of a decade or longer. So this is a really messed up narrative that we have around control of female fertility and to the point where we've lost all control of our insight, knowledge of our own fertility. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's something really important about what you said about being in tune with your body and and actually understanding what's going on and just being able to feel comfortable to ask the questions. You know, you said about the kind of blanket statement of go on the pill, which is often what most 15, 16 year old girls, I don't know, sometimes younger um, will hear uh, without any kind of wider context of this is what this might mean. This is what it might do in the long term, you know, all that sort of stuff. I think that's a really important conversation that isn't happening. Um, one of the things I'd really love to understand. So you talked about fertility. It's it's your baby. It's your it's your brand. Um, and I guess you kind of discuss the top level um, kind of stuff that people will come to you for. So it's it's hormone and fertility testing. Can you explain to me, I guess, and, and in a way that the audience will understand, you know, what a basic fertility test does? What are you looking for? What will the results show? What are we looking to um, understand? Okay, so when we built fertility, obviously we started with that really basic question, can I tell if I'm fertile? And the reality is, it's a very difficult question to answer unless you take into account our menstrual cycles, our symptoms, our overall health, our physical health, our hormone health, how our hormones interplay with each other, how our hormones are related to our symptoms and vice versa. So there's so many elements that we needed to take into account, whether you have any previous infections, previous diagnoses, ongoing diagnoses. Those are all so intrinsically linked to understanding that very basic question, am I fertile? And so while you can get routine hormone analysis, what people really want is they want answers about what all of it means. So that's been really at the heart and soul of what we wanted to create was something that enabled us to get someone to a very specific point by taking into account all of those things that I mentioned, symptoms, biometrics, lifestyle factors, menstrual patterns, any pains, any previous infections, any diagnoses, we ask a very comprehensive health assessment. And that health assessment, which is free on the website, enables us to tailor the journey to the individual. There's two things that are really important to an individual when they're undergoing this journey. One is personalization and two is language. How we use language to support somebody to make them feel comforted, that to make them feel uh, secure, to let them know that everything that we're asking is for a reason. And so we use that health assessment as a very important way of tailoring somebody's 
hormone test. So there's over 30 different panels of hormones that we will choose from depending on the combinations of symptoms and um, menstrual patterns that somebody tells us about. So while it seems from the user's perspective, I guess quite easy, right? You answer a health assessment, you get a test and you do it. And you could might you might say that there's loads of hormone tests out there. There might be, but they do not take into account the level of detail that we've really gone into to make sure that we can inform a potential clinical diagnosis. So we are really proud of the algorithm that we have built to enable us to calculate all of those points from that health assessment in combination with your hormone results. We can actually screen for 18 of the most common uh, gynecological pathologies and conditions relating to your fertility. Now, those could be really simple and so easily treated like hypo or hyperthyroidism and much more related to health or to sports and fitness. We see a lot of patients with or people with what's called hypothalamic amenorrhea. In other words, their periods have stopped because they're over exercising or are under eating or a combination of the two. Um, but there's a whole list of things that we can screen for based on really listening to the subtle variations between all of the data points that we've taken into account. So from, I get, Again, I, from, from that point, you get a test from home and it's a simple capillary or finger stick blood test. Um, I think you've done it. And again, that, what we're really trying to do is remove the barrier to entry or for somebody to physically have to go and see someone, physically have to go and get your blood tested. One of the things that we know, um, in particular, when it comes to gynecological health or anything to do with menstrual health or hormone health, is that it's quite a private matter. Even talking out loud about it can be quite difficult for people who haven't yet even admitted to themselves that they might be curious about their fertility or that they're struggling. And so in the normal setting where you have to sit in front of a complete stranger and answer questions about your sex life, about any previous sexually transmitted infections, about how you're bleeding, that come, that's a very unnatural disposition for somebody to be in. And very often you won't answer all of the relevant questions or feel comfortable doing so in particular in particular when it comes to lifestyle factors. So whether you're taking drugs, vaping, smoking, drinking alcohol, most people polish their halo before going into the doctor and they will give a very clean version of events. Like, I know I would never. For us being able to have that real digital companion, that there's no judgment. It's not, it's not it's no, nobody looking you in the eyes saying, what were you up to last weekend? It's just a very honest platform that we use to help educate somebody along the questions. So for every question that we ask, we qualify it with a reason why we're asking it and we're reassuring to say there's no shame we just need to know because it will help us better tailor your journey and get you to help so brilliant and i think that you're absolutely right there are a lot of barriers to entry when it comes to um you know taking that step to finding out about your fertility and yes okay the first one is obviously a financial one but the second is absolutely a kind of do i feel comfortable to divulging this information and, and then another thing that I was thinking about that's really important is you know for example someone's not in a you know long-term relationship they might have just got into a relationship but they're at an age where they're starting to think about their fertility it can be quite a leap for them to sort of go into the doctors and say you know can I check this out whereas I think it just makes it far more accessible comfortable and it really as you said at the start and you sold it so well, it sort of bridges the gap between that kind of top level, you know, going in and getting a full fertility profile at, at a gynecologist versus also just sitting in your GP chair and kind of ending up getting no answers at all. One of the things that I'm 
I'm genuinely really fascinated by and I, and I don't know much about. And I sort of feel that I'll ask the two questions separately, but I think one kind of directly connects to the other. But are we seeing a rise in women experiencing hormonal issues? And, and is that sort of then reflected in the work that you're doing? Uh, and the second one is around, are we seeing a rise in fertility issues? So I guess, like I said, the two are very connected, but I'm guessing hormonal ones might lead on to the second. But, you know, from my experience, I've had many conversations with friends, with, um, you know, people that I've interacted with who uh, it, it appears to be that more people are struggling with either hormonal issues or, or kind of, um, you know, conceiving. Do you see that in your work? Um, and particularly, do you see that when it comes to the people that you've interacted with, with fertility? Yes, that's a great question. And one that we're really amazed at our data. So for me, data is a big, when we talk about data, it's often considered a dirty word, because people immediately think metadata or data that you use to target advertising. And I think there's a distinct, there's a massive distinction that should be made when it comes to healthcare data, which is the single biggest thing that could unlock a healthier future for everybody through data sharing. And we've learned so much through our data, because every data point that we get, you know, really helps us to bring people to a diagnosis much sooner. But what we see is that we know globally that infertility affects one in six. So in the last 50 years, global fertility rates have plummeted. Um, and this there's a, there's a whole load of reasons that I'll get into for in a minute. But the predominant cause for in female factor infertility is age-related. Look at our lives, even go back 10 years, 15 years, the number of expectations on us to not just have jobs, but to have careers, to have busy social lives, to have um, these very full calendars and very full um, expectations on us as individuals. It's just crazy the level of expectation that we have on ourselves. I always say that, you know, if you're not, you know, succeeding in your career, making sure that you're, and um, you've got a social life, making sure you take time to meditate. Don't forget to freeze your eggs. Make sure you see your parents. Make sure you. There's just, it's almost impossible to be this, um, be all and end all human being and have anything left for yourself, and that's quite true of some of the things that we see. The saddest things that I see from our data are the sheer prevalence of extreme stress. So one of the questions that we ask people. Um, is how are you feeling, right? It's, it's a big question and it tells us quite a lot. And we ask, are you calm and confident? Are you neutral? Are you stressed or completely stressed and overwhelmed? And the biggest, uh, the, the biggest percentage of people are either stressed or completely stressed and overwhelmed. Now, what does that tell you about our day-to-day -day lives when we know that stress has such an impact on our whole endocrine system and our hormone system? It, you know, where you're constantly in this state of like adrenaline pumping and cortisol, you know, really suppressing our ability to ovulate. And so it's no wonder that we're, you know, we have so many of our hormones out of range, about 60 2% of all people who've done our test with fertility have at least one hormone out of range, um, which says a lot as well. Um, and so many people are, are experiencing anxiety, low mood. It, to me, it's, it gives me time to just reflect on the current times that we're in um, and the undue stress that we're putting on ourselves and our bodies to be functioning when we're supposed to be doing all of those things. It's it's so unnatural, actually. 
And I think that with all of those things, you're absolutely right. I I think I've seen many posts recently, and maybe it's just the echo chamber that I exist in that kind of talks about how women are just expected to do and be so much. And actually, it's almost an impossible task. You know, I think that um, there is so much pressure on us at a time when life is just generally stressful. You know, we're not living in a boom time where things are great. There's a lot going on that causes undue stress to people. And it's, and it's heartbreaking in itself. But I think that absolutely the toll that that then takes on our bodies, whether that just be, you know, developing chronic stress, um, having health issues as a result of stress. I think so many of us are seeking answers for things that are actually really difficult to solve, you know, improving stress. I I even know myself when I've tried to work on minimizing stress and getting to a point where I feel, you know, calmer is actually just really difficult to do and stressful in itself, you know, (laughs) it's stressful working on my stress. Yet another thing on your list to do is like, don't forget to relax and unwind. And you're like, how is that physically possible? (laughs) We'll be back after this. Welcome back to Give Me Strength. But one of the things that I think um, would be really great to understand is when it comes to setting up a good foundation for positive fertility, I mean, I don't else know how else to word it without it sounding a little bit kind of clunky, but I guess there are going to be issues along the way. As you said, one in six, which is a really challenging figure and, and desperately sad, but I know that there will be people listening to this who are thinking, I just want to give myself the best chance. And there might be things that I encounter along the way, but you know, as far as I'm able to do, how can I set myself up in the most positive way to just at least give it a go? Um, what are the things that you know, you mentioned data. What does the data say? What do we know in terms of the research that is going to give us the best chance to just at least try? And then, like I said, you know, if, if there are problems along the way, there are. But but yeah, I'd love to hear that. Honestly, that is the the best part about this is seeing some of the easiest ways that we can help people. And what I mean by that is that so many people are not educated as to just the basics of preconception health health in general, as you know, a lot of people have a a disconnect with understanding the basics in terms of either sugar or alcohol. Um, But what we see from the data is that so many people are undergoing a fertility journey in the absence of knowing that there are such easy things that they can do to improve their odds of getting pregnant. We have this narrative that says you need to stop, you know, stop anything, test, drop your vices as soon as you get pregnant. So you can't drink when you get pregnant and you can't smoke, obviously. And everyone would look at you and say, well, obviously that seems so um, basic, but actually it's in the three months leading up to getting pregnant or as, or as long as possible that you should be dropping all vices, that you should be preparing your body, thinking of pregnancy or even any fertility journey, whether it's pregnancy or whether it's going through a fertility assisted conception journey or egg freezing, particularly going through egg freezing or or IVF, you still should prepare your body to undergo what your body is about to receive, which is quite stressful. So either egg freezing, um, IVF or pregnancy, your body is literally going to go through a marathon. And I always say nobody would ever rock up to the start line of a marathon and think, I think I'm going to make it. Not doing any training, no preparation, even mental preparation. 
you have to mentally prepare yourself for what you're about to undergo, but also physically be in the best possible shape. So while it seems so obvious to say that people shouldn't be drinking or smoking or doing drugs, when we looked at our data, 40% of people actively trying to conceive are drinking alcohol. And of those, about 10% are drinking way above the national limit. Um, 8% of people actively trying to get pregnant are taking drugs. You know, this this seems so obvious, and yet there still must be a message that goes out there and says, please, you are not doing, you know, you're not giving your body the best possible chance. Think of what is inside each of your ovaries. You have all of these wonderful would-be eggs that are just incubating and waiting to be released. And if what you put into your body before getting pregnant is not fueling and feeding and nurturing those eggs, then they're not going to be in that in an environment that is conducive to pregnancy. And our bodies are so receptive to external stimuli. That's why when we're stressed, when we're sick, when we're undernourished, when we over-exercise, the first thing our endocrine system does is it shuts down our menstrual cycle or it delays our periods. And that's a really amazing way of our body being receptive to the world that it's in to say, you are in a, in a position of being a little bit stressed or a lot stressed or unwell. And therefore, that is not a good environment to host a pregnancy. And so really tapping into those internal stimuli that our bodies will give us to say, look, we need to be in a healthy position in order to nurture an ongoing pregnancy. But moreover, that it shouldn't stop at, uh, it shouldn't stop on, on the woman. It shouldn't stop on the person who's getting pregnant. 50% of the DNA required to fertilize that egg comes from the sperm. And I always say, albeit that the sperm is the smallest cell in the body and the egg is the largest cell in the body that tells us a lot, it still is giving 50% of the DNA. And so that preconception journey, especially three months beforehand, should not just be on the woman or the person holding the pregnancy. It should be on their partner, that they are investing in that preconception help, especially considering the life cycle of a sperm is three months. So you can significantly impact and improve the number of sperm, the quality of the sperm by embarking on that journey of at least three months of nurturing your body with better health, no alcohol, no drugs, um, reducing, you know, trans fats. That's a brilliant answer. Um, and I guess that kind of is laid on top of the basic foundations, which is, you know, keeping yourself relatively active, eating a nourishing diet, getting enough sleep. Like I'm guessing that's like the kind of the basic foundations. And do you discuss these with your fertility clients? Are these conversations that you're having with people, are you sort of like really going into, I guess, each case and giving kind of quite specific feedback and, and kind of um, advice off the back of the, the results that they've then submitted? Yes. So the results is something that's been a, an, an odyssey for us and trying to get as many answers to people as possible without overloading them with information. So we spent an additional two years building our report and actionable insights so that we could say, firstly, for every hormone, what is it and why did we test it and what your result means for you? But then combining everything, the actionable insights piece that we created was so you have a hormone out of range. What do you do? Are there things that you can do either through diet, lifestyle? Are there medications you're taking that are impacting that? Are there reproductive conditions that are that we can we, we know have a reason, have a causative reason for that hormone being out of range or a non-reproductive condition? So what are all of the pieces of information in this puzzle that we can give you to say, why it is that any one of your hormones could either be elevated or deficient? And what are the things that you can do, whether it's taking 
two Brazil nuts a day because it's your selenium intake for the day and selenium is required for a healthy egg. So real bite-sized pieces of information. We put a lot of work into that so we can really go with people and and we're currently building an app to enable that to be your, your pocket companion to really, really like throughout your cycle, help inform you the things that you can essentially hack your hormones to a certain extent, but also just be better informed as to how you might feel and, and anticipate feeling that way and ways that you might be able to mitigate those through dietary interventions or exercise. That's so exciting about the app. I can't wait for that. Um, I think that a lot of our conversation is centered around fertility, and I think it's it's brilliant for us to discuss that. But obviously on the sharp end of that subject is obviously infertility, and you, you mentioned it earlier. And I actually think one of the things that I'm interested to understand, I guess, because I actually don't know much about this is what do we actually define as infertility? Is it that you're struggling to conceive? Is it that you absolutely cannot conceive? I'm guessing there's a spectrum, but I'd be really interested to understand in terms of what you feed back to your clients. Is there a range of, of things that you will feed back if that comes back as something that might be flagged for them? And actually, what do we know by is, is meant by infertility? So infertility is defined as um the inability to achieve a pregnancy after 12 months of um, unprotected intercourse. So um, and that's actually been defined as after six months of unprotected over the age of 35. So we have to take into account that, you know, you, you, it, it, you shouldn't be waiting 12 full months to get to try and achieve a pregnancy if you're over 35, because obviously your our fertility declines as we age. And about 86% of our egg reserve is gone by the time we're 30, which is one of the worst stats. It's probably one of the ones that was real. I used to, you know, have to present these graphs of age-related fertility decline. And I remember just being horrified, counting in my head how many years I had in front of me to think, I need to meet someone. I need to be with them a significant amount of time that, it, that it's not weird to say, uh, can we have a baby? Um, and that's something that's really hard to contend with. But there are different versions of infertility, albeit that there are, albeit that the definition is 12 months um, without, of actively trying to conceive during your fertile window and not achieving a pregnancy. There are 11 listed causes of female infertility, whether it's anovulatory, metabolic, whether it's um, ovarian, uterine, chromosomal, genetic, there's a, there's a long list. And that's really why, you know, we wanted to build in as many of those possible outcomes into our health assessment. That's why we've worked so hard to say, can we define what it is that is preventing you from getting pregnancy so we can really hold your hand and give you all of the answers. And so that's why we built all of the additional clinical services beyond the test and the test results, albeit that the results are really informative. And and, and when you said the top line, it's very much not top line. I think this is far more in-depth than what you would get actually sitting at many gynecologists because it's been built with world-leading gynecologists, but that you'd be able to, that you can, that we have a full telemedicine service, that we can refer you for an ultrasound scan, um, that we have nutritional support, that we have fertility advisors who just can, can clarify some things for you. I think there's a, there's nowhere else that has built on that end-to-end ability to have that query, but then have your answers validated and then to be able to speak with somebody depending on your depending on your actual answers so that we can really help you uh, along your journey, no matter what type of infertility you might be experiencing. 
And I think that's the thing, isn't it? It's such a deeply sensitive um, and challenging subject and nobody wants to feel as much as, you know, you might do feel incredibly alone. The, the beauty of, of your product is that there are, like you said, a, a vast array of experts that they then kind of have direct access to, in which case you, you sort of you know, it's devastating, but also there is also answers, there's support, there's, there's options, which I think is by people who care. We all have our Mm. own stories. We all, every bit of this, while from a clinical and scientific standpoint needed to be the best for me, um, professionally, um, at the end of the day, we built this with humans in mind with ourselves with our sisters with our mums with our cousins with each and every one of our stories in mind we've been so mindful of language um of reassurance and yes there is this community of clinical care that we have but we also have i think what part of what fuels us is that feeling of community that we've built at fertility that we're you know as we say you're not overreacting um that we're that you're not alone that we're all in this together Oh, I love that. Uh, and, and it definitely shines through, by the way. <laughs> you can tell that you care. I would never doubted that for a second. Um, look, one of the things I want us to come on to next is uh, the kind of preventative things that, that one can do to, um, you know, put themselves in the best position to have children if that's an option for them in the future. You've mentioned egg freezing quite a number of times. And just from my very, um, you know, limited experience, I actually have felt there's maybe been some mixed messaging around egg freezing recently and some, some challenging kind of um, opposing views and I think it'd be really interesting to understand from your expert perspective your approach to egg freezing your thoughts on it and you know if someone wants to go down that journey the best kind of way to do that yeah that's a really great question and and unfortunately I feel like it's become something that as opposed to being something clinical it's become popularized um, that people are now seeing other people go through an egg freezing journey and think that they should do the same I mean, a lot of people ask me whether, you know, we should all be freezing our eggs at 25. And I I really fundamentally disagree with that. Egg freezing is not um, something that should be taken lightly. As I mentioned, you are, you have to, you know, inject your body with hormones. What you're trying to do is recreate a normal menstrual cycle, but multiply that by 10 or 20 so that you're getting as many eggs as possible so that you can preserve them. It's not foolproof and it's not a perfect technology. No technology is. I, in truth, think that everyone from the age of 18, 19, 20 should invest in knowing what their hormones are doing and knowing what their fertility is and knowing their gynecological health. Um, No different to how we all agree with each other that everyone should have their smear. It seems like a no-brainer that you should have your smear test because, you know, one in 64 will have cervical cancer and it's entirely preventable if you are up to date with your smear. And so it seems like we would shame each other if we hadn't gotten it because it seems like you're not investing in your own health. And yet reproductive conditions affect one in three and infertility affects one in six. So why wouldn't we screen for that on an annual basis? Why wouldn't we invest in an annual health checkup that invests in understanding our hormones and our reproductive health, especially when we're subject to so many external stresses and stimuli that really impact our hormones? So yeah, I think in terms of egg freezing, depending on your age and your personal circumstances and bearing in mind, it is such a personal journey. There are many for whom they've been in a long-term relationship and they're mid-30s and they've just broken up. And it's those people that struggle and are left feeling like they have no choice. The question that I just said earlier, which was, you know, how do I find someone, go out with them for a normal amount of time before actually realizing they're normal? And that's such a, a non, an unfair 
um, disposition to be in in any relationship, right? You should never be on the back foot being with somebody only because they're your only opportunity to have a family at some point. And, and let's face it, we all know people who are in really, you know, shit relationships because they are just afraid that they won't find anyone else and that that's their only opportunity to have children. So I, I do think that egg freezing can be viewed with a lens of reproductive autonomy. It gives you the ammunition if you are in a relationship that you're not quite sure about, or if you're just out of a relationship um, that you're not saying, you know what, I need you or I need that person, even if that person is bad for you. You're saying, I'm, I'm fueling myself with the enough reproductive autonomy to say, I've got eggs on ice and I don't necessarily need this person. It also fuels you with reproductive autonomy to say, maybe I don't want to be with somebody. Maybe I can ha embark on family forming on my own. And I, I actually don't think we talk enough about solo parenthood. I really don't. I think there is such an amazing um, place for undergoing that journey on your own. Sure, it's lonely, but surrounding people, you know, surrounding yourself with support is something that I really think can make a big difference. Um, I, I just think that depending on your stage of life, your resources, your um, energy for what's in front of you, I think egg freezing can be incredibly powerful, but it should not be thought of as something that's so flippant that you would do just because people are doing it at a younger age. In truth, the reason we built fertility was that you would find out what your fertility was before ever needing egg freezing. Um, I remember distinctly being in an IVF clinic with one of my former students and a colleague of mine. And, you know, we were, we were, we obviously do research on human embryos and eggs and all of these things. And so, and thinking, do I really want to be that person, you know, the legs in stirrups when I could just find out and track my ovarian reserve and just keep, keep an eye on it, you know, and, and taking in your own personal circumstances, you know, thinking I'm, I'm one of six. Okay. Maybe I'll be okay. Right. Maybe, maybe the worst isn't what I think it is. Um, and so being able to just liberate yourself with answers about you personally, as opposed to putting yourself in the perspective of everybody else. I think that is such a personal choice, but one that should be made after doing a test like fertility, after doing a fertility test saying, right, I'll invest in first understanding where my hormones are at. And for, I think for 149 pounds, it's, it's an incredibly achievable um, assessment of your fertility before deciding whether you think you need egg freezing. I love the word liberating there because I think that's the number one thing that I think shines through about fertility and about you and the work that you do. Because for me, everything that you just said there is we're giving people choices. We're giving people the ability to have autonomy, to have choices and to be liberated in the pathways that they decide to go down or maybe not, but the option is there should they, you know, should they want to. And I think that when we think about you know, women through the ages and our, our kind of journeys, they've been fairly limited for a long, long time that I count myself incredibly lucky that I exist in a time where there are people like you who are really fighting to, to give us the ability to have autonomy over our bodies, to feel liberated in our choices, and to really take ownership of the decisions that we would like to make for ourselves, our lives, our bodies. And I think that it's just so wonderful. Um, and yeah, I, I just feel incredibly grateful for people like you who do the work to make it possible. Um, 
one final question that I wanted to cover, and and I know that there will be people listening for whom this is relevant, so I kind of wanted to get onto it, but obviously just had a little browse of your website before I came onto the podcast and noticed that there is a menopause section that says coming soon. And I think that's brilliantly exciting. And again, like it's so wonderful to see more options, more choice, more um, autonomy for women that are at that stage of their life. So I'd love to hear more about that section of, of the business and what you're looking to work on and expand. To me, um, being able to grow with our user base and our loyal followers, it, no matter what their reproductive journey is really important. So whether it is that you are just curious about your reproductive health, whether you just want to check in on your hormones, whether you're embarking on a fertility journey, whether you're struggling with your fertility and us being able to bring you for egg freezing or IVF, whether it's that you have a condition and we can bring you for a scan, um, whether it's the fact that you're you're post having children or you never wanted to have children and you're in that perimenopausal journey, that to me is the ultimate aim for fertility is to be able to grow with you and to be your ultimate companion in terms of your health. We have so many different tools that help us to, I guess, fundamentally move less, right? We have Amazon and you can Amazon Prime it and we we have Deliveroo and it just brings you your food. We've got Ubers, it will get you there somewhere. You know, we've got City Mapper that tells you how quickly you're going to get somewhere and we can calculate all these metrics. And when it comes to health, where is the Uber, Deliveroo, Amazon Prime of our health? It's inexistent. There's 530,000 women on a wait list to see a gynecologist on the NHS. It's the longest wait list of any other speciality is gynecology. You know, why is it that we have to wait for appointments? Why is it that we have to justify our symptoms in order to be tested? We shouldn't have to wait to receive answers about our body. It's the most important metric in our lives. And the most important metric of success is your health. If you don't have your health, you have nothing else and nothing else really matters. And so building something that enables us to be that single source of truth, this home of women's health, no matter what age or stage you're at, is the ultimate goal for fertility. So we launch our menopause testing in um, in October for World Menopause Day. So um, if you know anybody who's struggling or wondering when they're going to go into menopause, we, we're, we're going to have a campaign called Menopause. <laughs> um, then, then we're here for you. Genius. I love it. And and yeah, so nice to see you kind of growing and expanding into other areas as well. It's just so brilliant. Um, now, Helen, I know that you're a busy lady, so I'm going to finally throw my last question at you because I think one of the things that I've been most interested by today, and look, you're an incredible saleswoman as amongst all the other things that you, oh that you do, <laughs> because... If there were one thing that I say you've definitely done today, it's that you've convinced pretty much anyone that I know that they should sign up to Hertility. But um, you've also thrown a lot of stats at us. Your brain is obviously full of data, stats, and you are at the, um, I guess, coalface of, of getting those from your users. What's a stat that's really shocked you or that's made you really, um, you know, think you know, one of those things that's, that you read and you go, oh my God, I did not realize that. And that's really important. And that people should know that stat, you know? Um, one of the things that I was most surprised about, we were uh, given the opportunity to go into Google. I sat next to the, the president of Google at, at dinner. It sounds like the Wizard of Oz type. And he was such, he's such a kind man, Matt Britton. And he said, what you're doing could help billions of women. I want to help you with a team of Googlers to see what are people searching for. And one of the most frequently Googled questions around reproductive health was, what is fertility? 
And that one really shook me because I'm living in a world of where everything, as you say, we live in an echo chamber. So we assume that people know so much more than they actually do. And it made me take pause and take 10 steps back to say, we actually need to meet people on a much more basic level and really hold their hand with the basics of what is fertility and what are the ways that people can get pregnant and what are the times that you actually can't get pregnant. And yeah, I think, I think to me, it's our total disconnect with basic knowledge about fertility and reproductive health. That's the, the thing that, that shakes me the most. Yeah, that was a brilliant answer. And, and I hope that, you know, you are just just starting the journey of, of giving people and empowering people more, more importantly with that information. Now, look, Dr. Helen O'Neill, you spoke about polishing halos earlier, and I'm going to give you full permission to polish yours because you are just doing the most incredible work. I'm so grateful for you giving up your time. I know how busy you are. And um, I'm really grateful that we can support you on the podcast with this, you know, really, really vital work. Um, you're doing amazing things. And we'll put the link to Hertility in the show notes for anyone that's interested um, and do check out they're on Instagram and obviously Helen's page as well for any more information Helen thank you so much thank you so much for having me Thank you so much for listening. I really hope you enjoyed that episode. I would love it if you could take some time to rate, review and follow the podcast as it really helps others to find it. We have a new episode dropping each week so this will also ensure you don't miss out. See you next time. Insanity Group.